Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Mark chapter 11. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray... Believe that you receive them and you will have them. We counted up this morning and I think the word you was mentioned five times in this little verse. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. And so we know that faith is designed for you in receiving your answers to prayer receiving from God for yourself. We pointed that out this morning. We went through all of that. And uh, we, we, we started, to, we, we kind of got just sort of in, into the edge of, of uh, the second part. And that is, what about other people? What about ministering to others? Now we know that your faith was designed for you in mind. When God designed faith, he designed it with you in mind for you to use to access his blessing and his promise in your life. We went through this this morning. How do you know the blessings of God? Well, you won't know unless you get into the word. That's where the will of God is is revealed is in the word. And we know that the things we have to ask have to be according to his will. But there's so much that is according to his will. I mean, there's just so many. Peter said, exceedingly great and precious promises. Hallelujah. I mean, they cover all things pertaining to life and godliness. Notice it's life, but it's godly life. Amen. Hallelujah. I, I, you know, sometimes people will, will, you wouldn't think it, but I mean, I've had people claim all kinds of things that weren't even godly, thinking God's going to give it to them. <laughs> that won't work. All things that pertain to life and godliness, a godly life. Amen. But there's so much that pertains to life and godliness. Amen. He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Having all your needs met is godly. I said, prospering and having all your needs met is godliness. Because it's according to his riches and glory. There aren't any ungodly riches and glory. Amen. So uh, his succeeding great and precious promises cover all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so uh, think about all the blessings. Healing is godly. Amen. Prospering is godly. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah covers it all. But what about others? Well, go with me over to Mark chapter five and let's point this out before we go any further. Mark chapter five. Glory to God. Excuse me, Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six. He went out from there, came to his own country now his own country was where he was raised in Nazareth. And when, the, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, 
Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Josie and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? What were they doing? They were bringing him down to a natural level. Now he was, he was a natural man born of a woman. He, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, uh, uh, different in that case. He, he was a natural man, but he was anointed by the Holy ghost. I said, he was a natural man, but he was anointed by the Holy spirit. And they didn't recognize that they related to him simply as a, as a, as a man. They said, who is this man? Where did this man get these things? He's just the carpenter. He's just the little carpenter. Amen. There's a lesson here. Amen. They brought him down to a natural level. And because of that, they could not receive from him. You understand that? They couldn't because they did not relate to him on the level of the anointing. It says, is, is, isn't, he's just the carpenter. We know Mary and, and his mom and, and James and his brothers and his sisters. And they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. The Greek says a few sickly people. In other words, people with just minor ailments. He could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out about the villages in a circuit teaching. You know, you're, you're not gonna be able to push the blessings of God off on people who won't believe. I said, when people are in unbelief, you cannot push the blessings of God off on them. I mean, Jesus couldn't. And you know, if it could be done, he would have done it. it because it doesn't say that he would not do any mighty works. It said it, Jesus wasn't offended at them. They were offended at him. And it says that he could not do what he had done in other places. Why? Because they looked at him as just a natural man. Well, he's just the carpenter. He's just the next door neighbor. He's just old Jesus, the old Joe. We know his family. He, he, he's not anything special. That's what they were saying. Amen. They didn't, they didn't relate to him like they should. Amen. You know, that, that's true of any ministry. If you don't relate to the minister, for instance, if you don't relate to your pastor from a, from a uh, anointing perspective and from the supernatural, you won't be able to receive. You won't be able to receive. He said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Have you ever noticed how your relatives don't sometimes respect you very much? Have you ever noticed that? And it doesn't matter what you ever achieve or how, how, what you ever reach in life, they just smile and look at you. 
I've known you since you were knee high to a grasshopper. You don't impress me at all. You ever had that attitude? Yeah. What is that? That's familiarity. That's looking at people according to the natural instead of the supernatural. Amen. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. That's what he was. Outside the anointing, he was a carpenter. Outside the call of God, he was ordinary Jesus. Got an ordinary Jesus. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't anything special in the natural. Now, I know there are people that say that, you know, when Jesus was, you know, little, that he turned birds into, you know, people. I mean, just all, there's all kinds of stories about crazy. I think he raised a bird from the dead when he was little. That's one of the spurious, you know, stories about him. None of that's true. He didn't do anything supernatural or special until the anointing came on him. It took the Holy Spirit coming on upon him and setting him in the office that God called him to. It took the anointing to, 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 uh, to cause anything special to happen. But outside that anointing, he wasn't. Now we know he was God the Son, but I'm talking about as far as a manifestation, we know that he laid aside all of his power and glory. So uh, even though he was the son of God, he laid aside all of the attributes that go with who he really was. He laid them aside and, and just took up, uh, uh, you know, the, the mantle of an ordinary man. Born here, you know, in the earth, subject to, to all of the things that people encounter growing up and moving into manhood and taking a profession and, uh, you know, just a good honorable friend, just a, just a normal man. But when the anointing came on him, that changed. Amen. And the people that saw the anointing and, and put value on the anointing received from him and the people that didn't put the value on the anointing didn't receive. Well, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. God's put a pastor in your life and put his anointing on him. Amen. And, and if, you don't, if you don't relate to that the right way, you won't receive from that anointing. And it's really unbelief. It's really offense. Notice, they didn't say anything ugly about him. They just said, where did he get this? Who is he? Where did this wisdom come from? How does he have all these mighty works? He's just a carpenter. He's just the boy next door, the man next door. They didn't say they were offended at him. God said they were offended. You know, most people who are offended won't admit it. I have people all the time say, now I'm not offended. Listen, if you have to preface, you're, 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 you know, dialogue by saying, I'm not offended. Chances are you are. <laughs> I'm not offended. I'm not mad. I'm not offended. Well, a lot of times that's not true. <laughs> people who are offended, very few people are offended. I mean, if you just ask people, are you offended? Oh, no. I mean, the way you, if you ask around, there really isn't hardly anybody offended. 
in the whole world. Almost nobody's offended at anything, ever. I wonder why the Bible tells us to avoid offense. Because it so rarely happens. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Their, 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 their lack of respect showed an offense. Amen. Because they looked at the natural man and said, yeah, but I know, I know him. He's just, he's just, he's no better than me. That's what they were really saying. He's no better than me. Who is this guy? He's no better than me. He's no better than anybody else. Who does he think he is? Well, praise God. Amen, I could meddle. But I want to get back to my message. You can't push the blessings of God off on people if they, don't want to, if they don't want anything to do with it, if they don't want to receive, if they don't want to exercise faith, there's nothing you can do. Jesus couldn't and we couldn't and we can't either. Amen. Now we pointed out this morning where bona fide baby Christians are concerned. You can get your faith to work for them for a while. How many of you remember this morning? Remember we read Hebrews, the uh, uh, fifth chapter of Hebrews where it said, when the time has come, that you ought to be teachers, you have a need that one teach you again, the basic principles, and we found out some of the basic principles are faith in God, that's one of the basic principles. See, having, having faith, knowing how to believe God, take God at his word, and when you pray, believe right then that you receive it, before you see anything, give God the glory, give God the praise, knowing that you will have, that's a fundamental principle. Think about that. How many Christians in the body of Christ don't even know that, fun, they don't even know that fundamental. They're not even aware of that critical, fundamental principle of Christ. But he said, the t- when the time has come that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. So a time comes. I said a time comes. There is a time when God expects us to grow up not, not necessarily reach full maturity, but reach a place where we know the fundamentals. Yeah, amen. amen. And can apply the fundamentals in our life. And when that time comes, I found that it's very difficult to get God uh, to, to use my faith for somebody else when that time has come. Now you say, well, how long? What's the time? Well, there's no set time. But, but it doesn't take very long. If you're, hearing, if you're hearing about faith all the time, God expects us to take hold of some things. And when we're young in the Lord, when people are first saved or first filled with the Holy Spirit and they're first learning, you can use your faith for somebody to help them. But it doesn't take very long till that, that stops working. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> well, what about when people don't know any better? What about when people don't know any better? Go over to uh, Matthew, the eighth chapter. Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight. We have a story here of a man, a centurion, who got healing for his servant on his own faith. Have you ever thought about that before? The servant wasn't exercising any faith. The centurion exercised faith for his servant. Well, how did that happen? Let's look at it. 
Matthew chapter eight, verse five. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, notice that without, without explicitly saying it, it would seem that this servant uh, had been in this condition for a while. He said he's lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. That to me just, it just leads me to believe that this didn't just happen the day before. And, and it says too that the centurion came to Jesus pleading with him. He was very anxious. He was very concerned. It was something that, that he was really stirred up about. It was really on his heart powerfully. He was pleading with the Lord about his servant. He said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Notice, and, and not I will be healed. Just speak a word and my servant will be healed. Notice this is a man's faith working for somebody else. Have you ever noticed that? He said, you speak a word, just only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now here he gives the, he gives the key away. He said, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, and to my servant, who's lying at home dreadfully paralyzed, to my servant, now he probably had other servants, but this certainly included this servant that was paralyzed, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many, he's talking to the Jews, many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. Notice, Jesus said that what I'm doing for him, I'm doing for you. Amen. Go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. See, this was this man's request. His request wasn't for himself. Our faith is primarily designed for us to use for ourselves. But here he used his faith for somebody else. And Jesus said, it's going to be done for you because of your faith. Isn't that right? I've not found such great faith. So he's saying this man had great faith. Jesus responded to this man's faith and gave him what he asked for, but it was for somebody else. 
So when can your faith work for others? Evidently it can. But, but again, we know Hebrews 12, of Hebrews chapter five, verse 12, for there comes a time when we ought to be, we ought to know some things and be able to teach others and it's time that we learn again. God's not pleased with that. And I know from experience that people who know better or who've had the opportunity to know, there comes a time when my faith won't work for them. But there's a time when my faith will work for somebody. Who? What kind of person? Notice the centurion's servant was at home, paralyzed, tormented. The centurion's servant didn't know what the centurion knew. He hadn't been, he hadn't been, he hadn't been able to witness the healings of Jesus. See, Jesus' reputation was beginning to spread. People were talking about what was going on in Jesus' ministry. This centurion was watching all of this. He, he, he saw Jesus healing. He heard Jesus preaching. He perhaps was one of those in the multitude who was following Jesus. He had an opportunity and because of the opportunity to hear Faith came up in his life, in his heart, and Jesus said it was great faith, and he reached out and used his faith, and God honored his faith, but it was on behalf of his servant who did not have the opportunity to hear. He didn't know. He hadn't heard of Jesus, except maybe what the centurion said, but he was so tormented. You know, when people are are in bad shape, it's hard to get the truth across to them. I said, you can be in such torment and in such bad condition physically or mentally or, 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 you know, in any realm, you can be so, so messed up, so to speak, and under so much oppression, it's hard to get the truth to you. Well, what about people like that? Does God just forget them and say, well, you know, so sad. You ought not be that way. No. We have an ability to reach people who don't know, who, who are in a situation that limits their ability to, to, to know and to hear the things that we know and hear. We can reach them. Amen. God will honor our faith. Amen. But there's a couple of things involved here that I think it's, it's very important that we don't just run off with an idea and think, well, then that means I can use my faith for everybody. Anybody I meet. If, if they don't go to a church like mine and they haven't heard what we've heard, I can use my faith for them. Hold on a minute. I didn't say that. This man was able to use his faith for his servant for a reason. We know that first of all, the servant hadn't, he, he wasn't privileged to, to be able to get in Jesus's meetings. Okay. And, and even if the, if the centurion had told the servant about what Jesus was doing, he was so tormented and, and so taken up with his own condition, it was hard for, the, for him to get the truth to him. There's, there's two things I want to point out in here and a lot of other places. Now, let me say this, that in Jesus's ministry, if you go back and study the four gospels, I encourage you to do this in particular and look for this. Go through and just read the four gospels and, and make a note of all the times where, 
You know, sometimes it says Jesus ministered to the multitudes. And other times it just says he ministers to a person, but it doesn't give us any detail. But the times where some detail is given about individual cases of healing, when those individual cases of healing are covered in, in those, those, those occasions where the Bible tells us about how someone interacted with Jesus. In those times, about 65% of those times, the, the Bible and Jesus himself especially highlighted the person's faith. About 65% of the time, Jesus pointed out and highlighted the person's faith. Let's just read a couple of them. Hold your place here, we'll come back. Go to Matthew chapter five, real quick. You know these, but I just wanna remind you. Matthew chapter five, Remember the woman with the issue of blood. Does everybody know that story? Amen. Anybody not know that story? Anybody afraid to raise their hand? Paul doesn't know that story. We'll read it for Paul. Amen. It says, Paul, when Jesus had crossed uh, over, this is the, um, Mark five twenty one. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. That simply means they were pressing in from every side, just pushing, you know, rubbing up against him, uh, very tight uh, uh, confines. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many doctors. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd. Remember, the crowd was all pressing around. And she touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? He said, people are touching you from every direction. But Jesus looked around to see her who had done this thing. You following me, Paul? Yeah. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Notice her faith made her well. Jesus didn't say, my power made you well. Now we know that his power did make her well because he felt the power go out of him into her and she felt in her body the power come into her and heal her. But Jesus didn't point any, he didn't highlight his power, he highlighted her faith. Isn't that right? He said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Now the same, in the same story, remember Jairus, we left him standing there. In this same story, Jairus, you know, his, his, uh, daughter is at home at the point of death and Jesus is on his way and then he got interrupted by this woman with, with, uh, who needed healing and uh, ministered to her 
And while he was still speaking, verse 35, somebody came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said to the ruler that your daughter is dead. See, she was at the point of death, but she died while Jesus was en route. Listen, God's never late. There's never late. He said to to the Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the, the teacher any further? But as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Notice again, we won't read the rest of the story, but Jairus' daughter was raised up because Jairus believed. He refused to fear and he believed God. So we see, just not read it, but remember blind Bartimaeus. You remember that? Blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus and, and Jesus said, what do you want? And he said, I want to be I want my sight restored. And Jesus ministered to him and he was healed. And Jesus said, Bartimaeus, according to your faith, be it unto you. And he was healed. So so we see over and over and over, my point is over and over and over again, Jesus highlighted people's faith. So that's the number one way that people receive from the Lord is by their own faith. And that we've already established that. That's what faith is for, to help us receive. But what about these other cases? We have a story here that we just read, Mark chapter, Matthew chapter eight, of, of a centurion who got his servant healed and his servant evidently wasn't believing anything. Because Jesus said, your faith is great. He told the centurion, he commended the centurion's faith. Amen. Hallelujah. But here's the key. Go back to Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight. The centurion said, I am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. Notice the servant was under his authority. That's the point. The servant was under his authority. He had a place of authority in that servant's life. Or you can say it like this. He was responsible for that, for that servant. He, was, he cared for that servant. That servant worked for him or was uh, in some way indentured to him. And this centurion, centurion cared for him and had authority in that man's life. That's a very important distinction. When we see all of these healings that Jesus uh, uh, was involved in where he healed the multitudes, it's interesting that without, we've looked over this fact, but we, we notice that, well, let's read. Let's go down to verse uh, Well, let's, I'm going to get it kind of out of order here, but uh, we'll come back to this. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 12, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, if you look at a map, of Palestine in the day of Jesus, Judea, I'm trying to do this backwards, 
Judea's down here, Jerusalem. This was the center of Judaism. Galilee was to the north. The, the Jordan River ran up to the, to the sea, or actually, I mean, it flowed down, but the, the, sea of Gal, or the, the river Jordan connected Judea and Galilee, and it, and it ran up to the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was in the middle of the region of Galilee. Jesus left where he had been and went back into Galilee where he had been raised. Nazareth was in Galilee. Jesus had been raised in Galilee, but he went down to the Jordan River where John was baptizing and all the Jews had come up, all the religious people had come up from Judea and Jerusalem to be baptized by John in the, in the Jordan River. Jesus had gone down there, but then he returned back up into Galilee. Now notice what it says about, about Galilee. Verse number 13, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum. Now Capernaum was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a coastal town. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, notice, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's very important. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Galilee, there were a lot of Gentiles in Galilee. There were mostly Jews in Judea. But in Galilee, there were a lot of Gentiles. They were not part of Israel. They were in the land of Israel, but they were, not, they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And Jesus especially went into Galilee to preach where people didn't know what people should have known down in Judea. You get that? These were people that, that didn't know about the covenant, didn't know what belonged to them. They, they had not had the opportunity that the people... If you, if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was highly critical of the Jews, the religious people of the day, those who, who should have known better and, and didn't, who were all caught up in legalism. You know, he said, you, 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 know, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You have all of these religious things. You wash your pots and cups and arrange everything just so and you tithe you know, on, on, the, on the smallest little ingredient of, of spices and you do all of these things that he said, those are good things, but you, 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 you forsake the weightier matters of the law. Mercy, faith, compassion, righteousness. So Jesus was highly critical of the religious people. He went up into the area of Galilee where there were all of these Gentiles. Now there were Jews in Galilee. Don't misunderstand me. There were Jews all around, but there were a lot of Gentiles. It says Galilee of the Gentiles. Did you see that? Now from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what, that's what unbelievers and sinners need. They need preaching. Amen. It tells about how Jesus, uh, you know, uh, uh, how he, he, he met some of the disciples and called them. And uh, 
they left their nets and their boats and, and followed Jesus. Now, in verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Now, a lot of people went to synagogue who were Jews, but a lot of, a lot of Gentiles went to the synagogue. They had to sit in a special place, but they went to the synagogue as well. He went into the synagogues, t- preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness among, and, and, and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now, verse number, verses 23 through 25 are, are sort of a setup, a uh, 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 a synopsis of what's going to follow. In the chapters that follow, he tells us how he went about all Galilee. This is just a summary. It starts off with a summary, and then in the chapters that follow, it gives us the story of how that happened. So you have to read the Gospels. I, this is just something that's peculiar to me. I love to read the different Gospels and, and, and piece them together because they're not always written chronologically. If you ever notice, you know, in one, in, in one gospel, you know, he'll, two or three things will happen. And then in another gospel, something else will be inserted in that list of things that happen that in the first gospel is, is mentioned four chapters later. They're not always in chronological order. They weren't written for that purpose. But I like to put them in chronological order because that's just the way I think. I want to see what happened on what day, what happened first, what happened next, what happened after that, why the first thing happened and how that impacted the second. That's just the way I like to study the Bible. And, uh, and so what we have in these verses, he's telling us ahead of time, verses 23 through 25, what he, that he then illustrates and, and fleshes out in the chapters, chapters that follow. So in chapter five and six, we have the, the Beatitudes, chapter seven, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the Beatitudes and goes into the full Sermon on the Mount. In verse, let's go to chapter seven, verse 28, and when it so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So it was Jesus' preaching in Galilee. That's where this took place, in Galilee. He preached the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on the mountain and people were following him primarily at this time because of his preaching. There had been another great preacher that had a following, John the Baptist had a huge following, but now Jesus comes on the scene. He's a better preacher. Jesus was a better preacher than John the Baptist. People started leaving the John the Baptist crusades and started going to the Jesus of Nazareth crusades. So much so that, that John's people got a little ticked off about it. They sent a delegation and they said, you know, everybody's, they went to John and said, everybody's leaving us and they're following Jesus. John said, relax, guys, that's the way it's supposed to be. He must decrease, I must increase. He said, I didn't come for my own, in my own name, in my own right. I came as a forerunner of him. He said, he's the one I came to testify about. Remember that? They were leaving John and going to Jesus because Jesus was getting all the attention. People were thronging and flocking to Jesus at this point because of his preaching. Okay? Now notice what happened when he came down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount. When he came, verse chapter eight, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, worshiping him, 
saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go in your way and show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Notice that Jesus said, I'm, this man, this, this leper had faith, but it was incomplete faith. He knew Jesus was able he, he had gathered from just the way Jesus conducted himself, the authority and the things that he taught, that Jesus had, had the ability to heal him. Only thing he lacked was he wasn't sure Jesus wanted to. He said, Lord, I know you're able. If, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. Jesus said, I'm willing. And that's the, in that word, that word to that, to that leper is God's word to us today. He is willing. He is willing to heal us. Amen. Now, he put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Immediately, the leper was cleansed. Now, see, the leper was exercising faith and the leper came to Jesus. This is something that that I think a lot of times we don't see. The leper came to Jesus. Jesus didn't seek out the leper. Jesus wasn't walking around saying, let me find somebody sick that I can go minister to. He was preaching and someone who was sick came to him. This is very important. The leper came to Jesus and said, I know you can heal me. I've been listening to you. I I just don't know if if you want to, but if you want to, I know you can. And Jesus extended his faith, raised his faith to the next level by saying, not only can I, I want to. And that's all the man needed. And he was healed. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum from the Sermon on the Mount, he had been up on the mountain. He came down from the mountain. The leper came to him and, and approached him about healing. And he healed him. So then when he entered Capernaum, it's back into town, to Capernaum, this is where Peter and, and, and James and, and the disciples lived. And Jesus took up residence in Capernaum. This became his home. He left, go, you remember that? He said he left Nazareth and, and took up residence in, in, uh, in Galilee, and particularly in Capernaum. When Jesus entered Capernaum, the centurion, what? Centurion, what? Came to him. He didn't seek out the centurion. He didn't seek out the centurion. The centurion sought out him. That indicates faith on the part of the centurion just like it indicates faith on the part of the leper. They, both the leper and the centurion saw something, heard something that caused faith to arise in their heart and they came to Jesus. Jesus didn't seek the centurion out. Said that centurion came to him. Now, let me see. Uh, hold your place and go over to Mark chapter one. Not only did, did the centurion, when he came into Capernaum, not only did the centurion come to him. Now see, if you read, hold your place and go back to, to Matthew eight again. If you read Matthew eight, it looks like he went straight to, to uh, Peter's house and, and ministered to Peter's mother-in-law. Isn't that right? But if you go over Mark, you see that something else happened in the meantime. After, evidently, after the leper 
And after the centurion who got healing for his servant, Jesus went into the synagogue. It says they went into Capernaum immediately on the synagogue. At some point before, before he ministered at Peter's house, he went into the synagogue. Maybe not the same day, but this, this is the train, uh, chain of, of events. At some point he went into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That was a demon talking. That demon spirit just spoke up. That man had an unclean spirit and that demon spirit just spoke up and used this man's mouth and spoke right out. There's something else here. When the devil confronts you, you can be as bold as a lion. The devil confronted Jesus. When, when, the, when you're out in, in public and the devil confronts you, step right up to the plate. Step right up to the plate. Be as bold as a lion. How dare the devil confront me? Amen. Jesus didn't go looking for devils. They were just stupid enough to confront him. just spoke up in this man. Now you see, with, without, without any faith involved, Jesus rebuked the devil, the demon, and said, shut up. Now the King James says, be quiet. But if you read this in the original, it just means shut your flap. Shut up and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit convulsed the man, he cried out with a loud voice, ee, and he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new teaching is this? For with authority, he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread through all, throughout all the region around Galilee. Notice Jesus got a big boost, a big PR boost that day. Suddenly his fame, he was not now just the great preacher. Now, there, there's, no, there's nothing to, to say that anybody took notice of the healing of the leper. Maybe they did, we don't know. There's no notice that, that there was a big to-do about the, the uh, centurion servant. Other than Jesus, there was obviously people around. But as far as it making a big, you know, tidal wave effect in the area, the centurion went his way, his servant was healed. But now he's in a public area in the synagogue and now it's a flash. Look what Jesus did. Woo, we have somebody special here now. His fame began to spread because somebody got delivered, but Jesus didn't go looking for the devil. The devil confronted him. You remember the madman of Kadera? When Jesus got out of the boat, they entered into the area of the Gadarenes and it says that out of the tombs, there met him out of the tombs, this man or two men who were possessed of demons and they, they were in the tombs cutting themselves. They confronted Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the tomb looking for demon acts. Demoniacs, crazy acts. They confronted him 
And when they confronted him, he rose up and exercised his authority. You remember, remember Paul? As they were going to prayer in the 16th chapter of Acts, so they're just minding their business, going to prayer. Just, you know, going to prayer. How sweet and how nice is that? Going to prayer, not doing anything wrong. And this little woman, this little girl, actually, possessed with a spirit of fortune telling. Now, I know today that, that most fortune tellers are just, they're just frauds. They don't have any power. They're not telling anybody's fortune. It, it's, they're just fake. But there are people who actually have familiar spirits and, and they, they pass themselves off as, as being able to hear from the dead and they'll know things about your dearly departed because they're, they're, they're operating in familiar spirits. They're not really hearing from your dearly departed because people, Jesus said there's a great gulf fixed when people go over there and they can't come back and they can't talk. But these evil spirits who were familiar we won't say how, but familiar with your dearly departed. We don't know what, what levels they were familiar, but they knew something about your, your dearly departed. They'll tell this medium something about your dearly departed and they'll say, now, you know, your, your grandmother, you know, gave your mom a really uh, precious ring that came from her grandmother. And she's, she just wants you to know that she loves you and she's, and you think, Oh, nobody knew that. I didn't tell that medium about my grandmother's ring. Nobody knew. That evil spirit knew that. Well, that's a spirit of divination. That's what this girl, she actually had a spirit of divination and it was working because she was making a lot of money, the Bible says, 16th chapter of Acts. She was making a lot of money by telling people's fortune. And, and you know, you, you, you don't make a lot of money if you're a fraud. You know, people don't come back. So, so this woman, this little, rather, this little girl, she had an actual demon spirit operating in her and they're out, you know, just minding their business, going to prayer. And this, this girl with this evil spirit starts following them say, these are the servants of the most high God who show us the way of salvation. Well, that was true. But I mean, who, who wants to have a, a, a demoniac, demoniac, you know, following you around telling, who, do, who wants the devil advertising for you? That wasn't helping their meetings because everybody knew, you know, you know, even people today that go to meetings, they know that's not right. I said, people know that's not right. I mean, what I mean to say is they know it's wrong. Everybody knows that people ought not be able to contact the dead and be able to tell you things about you. People know that. You go to, I mean, you just go to their places of business and you know it's of the devil. Just the way, it, you know, you can just look at it. Well, people, people are the same today as they were then. People knew this girl that had this, this spirit of divination. They knew that was of the devil. People, do, people go after a lot of things they know it's of the devil. People know that, you know, that uh, being a drug addict is of the devil, but people still go after drugs. Amen. Well, you, you know, G, Paul is walking around and this girl who has this reputation of having an evil spirit following them around. Now it said she did this for many days. If you look it up, it says she did this for many days and that, then that Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, come out of her and he came out. And, and, and the girl lost her power to, to uh, divine the future and, and, her, and her masters lost all of the income. 
And they got mad and had Peter, and, I mean, had Paul and, and, and Silas thrown in prison, in jail. But now it says that, that Paul, she did this for many days. Why didn't Paul deal with it after the first day? Didn't say a few days. Many days is not one or two days. I don't know how many is many, but it's not a few. Few is a few, many is many. So for, for, a, for many days, she did this and Paul put up with it. He, he had to have been annoyed the first time. Now, it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit came on him and he turned and said, it says that he greatly annoyed, turned. You know, sometimes we just put up with things we shouldn't put up with. And then finally, we just get fed up. I'm convinced that had Paul stood his ground the very first day, the same anointing that came on him when he got annoyed would have come on him when he got less annoyed. He was greatly annoyed and he said to the spirit, come out of her. Now, it takes a manifestation of the spirit to cast out demons. But my point is, Jesus, when the devil confronted him, he immediately reacted. He's, you know, he's in the teaching in the synagogue and this little, you know, demon possessed creep, you know, opens up and starts. And Jesus just shut him up, shut up and come out of him. Well, praise the Lord. What I'm saying is when you're out ministering to people, if the devil confronts you, deal with it. Deal with it right then, right then deal with it. You'll find the anointing of God will come on you to deal with it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Don't wait many days. Since he was greatly annoyed. You know that, that, I looked that up one time. You know what greatly annoyed really means in the, in the Greek? You know what it, really, what it really says? It means that he was greatly annoyed. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it doesn't say that it was a spiritual indignation. It just says that he was annoyed. He was agitated. Normally, irritation and agitation it doesn't work well with the anointing. It's not, in other words, the anointing doesn't come on us just because we're annoyed. The flesh doesn't generally produce a manifestation of the spirit. But see, it, it, it got him stirred up enough that he would take action. And he called that evil spirit out of that girl and she was healed, delivered. Well, praise the Lord. Are we learning anything tonight? Uh, go, go back. Let's close up here. Let's go back now to, to Matthew eight again. He cleansed the leper when he came down off the Mount of uh, where he taught the sermon on the Mount. He met the centurion servant, healed him. And then he went into the synagogue. We found that in Mark chapter one, went into the synagogue and, and the little creepy devil guy, you know, um, interrupted his teaching and he cast the devil out of him. Now, it says when he, now when that was when he left the synagogue, it says he, he, he had come into Peter's house. Go, uh, go back over to Mark real quick. Mark, Mark chapter one. Soon as they come out of the synagogue, verse 29, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told her, told him about her and he came at once, 
to her, came to her, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Well, I wonder why they told him. I wonder why they told him about Peter's mother-in-law. Because they had faith. Do you see that? Essentially, they brought his mother-in-law to Jesus. They actually brought Jesus to, to her. And at evening, it says, and, and she was healed and she served them. And at evening, when the sun had set, they brought, underscore that, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many devils, demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Notice the whole city was gathered at the door and it was people that had brought, they brought to him all who were sick. We're looking at Mark chapter one. Go back to Matthew chapter eight, verse 16. Verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. Go over to Luke's gospel. Go over to Luke's gospel. Uh, yeah, verse 40, Luke chapter four, verse 40. Are you there? Luke 440, are you following me tonight? Luke 440. When the sun was setting, this is the same day, notice Peter's mother-in-law gets healed just before this. And when the sun was setting, that's that evening, all those who had, now notice, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases. We know also people who were not only sick, but possessed of demons. Notice when the sun was setting, that Matthew and Mark says they brought, here it says all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them. What does it mean to have any? What does it mean to have any? All those who had any. That means that they were under their care. They, they, didn't, they didn't just go out into the street and grab people. It says all those who had any who were sick with various diseases. Again, people under their authority. You know, people with, with, with paralytics, because it identified paralytics and demon-possessed people, those people are often incapacitated. And, and you have to care for them. So these people that came and Jesus healed were brought to him by people who believed in Jesus. It was, it was their faith more than it was the paralytics and the, and the demon-possessed people. It wasn't their faith. It was the faith of the people that brought them. Do you see that? But again, see the relationship. They brought them to him because they had them. They had a position of authority. And notice this. I'm running out of time. Notice the other thing, territory. Jesus didn't go to the demon-possessed house. He didn't go where the paralytics were. They brought them to him. There's something about territory that has to do with the manifestation of God's power. God's power will work for me on my turf where it won't work on your turf. I've cast the devil out of people and I've been very successful on my own turf. But I've been called to go to play. I remember one time this guy came up to me. He used to come to our church years ago. 
and he had left and he was going to another church and he called me one day, one night, actually one evening. He said, Pastor Anderson, he said, uh, there's a guy that needs deliverance that, that I've been trying to help. He said, he's got demons. Will you go with me and, 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 get, and help, help me get this guy set free? I was very young. This was back in the eighties. I was very young and I didn't know what I know now. And I just, without thinking, you know, I want to help people. I said, yeah, I'll go with you. So we went to this house. I'd never been, I didn't know who this was. And, and the man that used to come to my church, he didn't know him. He had just heard about him. His heart went out to him and he wanted to help this guy. And so he brought me to this house. We walked in, in this house and, and there was nobody home except in, the, in this one bedroom. There was, we walked in, it was the most ghastly scene you've ever seen in your life. I make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. There was a guy laying on a bed and he was chained to the bed. His, his, his hands, both of his hands were chained over his head to the chained. I'm talking chains. He had chains on, chained to the bedpost. And his feet, his legs were spread and his feet were each chained to the feet post, to the foot post of the bed. He was chained to the bed. That's what I walked in on. And he's laying there and his beard was all kind of, you know, scraggly and outgrown. His hair was long and matted. And the whole time I was there, I was there about a half an hour, this man never said an intelligible word the entire time. The entire, as soon as we walked in, and I think he was doing this before we walked in because this is what we found. We walked in, this guy's chained to the bed and he's just writhing, just pulling against these chains. And he's got big saucer bloodshot eyes. He's got this, you know, look from another world on his face and he's just going ah, just screaming and, and wreathing and just pulling and fighting against these chains that's a weird sight so I walked in with this man you know and, and I thought well I'm glad this guy's chained up <laughs> he looks like he could hurt you and I mean he was just full of the devil he was completely insane and just, ah, just screaming and, yeah, I mean, he never, he never cursed. He never said anything that I remember anything until he just, ah, just, he could just look in his eyes like, ah. And so we went in and I, I did everything I'd ever done before. I mean, I pushed every button, I pulled every lever, I cast it out, I bound, I rebuked, you know, and so did this other guy. We, we did this for, you know, for about a half an hour and I said, hold it, hold it, I, stop, stop. We are not going down the right road here. This is, this is not producing any fruit. And I said, I don't know about you, but I'm leaving. I knew that something wasn't right. And so I just, I just abruptly left, left the, the, the man to the contact of me, just left him there. I said, I'm leaving, I'm done. I got outside and I, and I got in the car and I said, no, Lord, I've never dealt with anybody that long and not gotten them free before. I've cast devils out of people and I've had all kinds of reactions. I've had all kinds of manifestations, people doing crazy things. I said, what happened here? Nothing changed. You know what the Lord said to me? He said two things. There's no faith in this house and you're on his territory and you have no place here. See, nobody invited me, nobody in the house, whoever was caring for this man, they didn't, they didn't invite me to come. This person that, had, that invited me barely knew the guy. There was no, I had no authority in that house. There, and there was, Jesus said, the Lord said, there was no faith there. I don't, I don't know the people that were associated with this guy. I don't know if they loved him. I don't know if they cared for him. I don't know. 
But there was, they didn't, they weren't reaching out. People who had the right to reach out on behalf of this guy were not reaching out. They weren't reaching out. Somebody that didn't know him was reaching out. He didn't have any authority. And that's what the Lord said. He said, there's no faith in this house and you're on the devil's territory. You're on his territory, not on your own. That's why I, I don't, I don't, I learned a, bit, a valuable lesson that day. I don't, I don't go to minister like that to people on their turf. You, you want help, you come to me. Well, that's just prideful. No, it's not. It's a spiritual law. Amen. See, when Jesus was in the, ten, in, in the synagogue, he was on his own turf. He was on his own turf. Isn't that right? He was the king of the Jews. He was the Messiah of the children of Israel. He was on his own ground. That was his house. How dare, how dare the devil raise his, his, his voice at him? Amen. And when Jesus was out and he landed on, on the, in the land of the, of the gatherings, he was on ministry business. He was on ministry business and the devil confronted him and he said, no, you don't. You're not confronting me. He cast the devil and, and it says that this man had a, a legion, a demon spirit called legion was in him. And they came out. Well, praise the Lord. I'd say authority and territory. And then, and then let me close with this. I know it's 59 minutes and 14 seconds. You didn't know that, but I do. And I didn't start this on time either. <laughs> so I'll close. There was also a, something called collective faith. When you have the momentum that Jesus had that started going by, when the devil confronted Jesus in that synagogue in, in Capernaum, that's what really started the, the momentum of his ministry, people begin to realize, whoa, we have somebody different. He, he calls out evil spirits. And then he went into to, to Peter's uh, house and when he come out that evening, the whole city had got, they brought everybody that was sick. Well, when you get everybody, when you have everybody bringing all of their dependent ones, you understand? The, they brought those that they had. They brought their dependents. They had authority, they had the right to bring that person. That gave Jesus an opportunity. But also, when that starts happening, there's a collective faith that takes hold. I mean, you get one person healed, another person healed, another person delivered, another person healed. Suddenly, the, the, the collective faith of the whole crowd just begins to soar. And I tell you what, all things are possible. Amen? So we look at the ministry of Jesus and we think, well, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. We have to look at what actually happened in his ministry, what was really going on behind the scenes. Amen. You have the authority to minister to people when they submit themselves to you and when, or when someone with authority brings someone and, and you, you can use your faith to minister to that person. And in, and in these situations, it wasn't so much that the person's Faith got them healed. It allowed Jesus to minister healing to them. That's different. That's different. When, when I call people up for ministry, sometimes it's, it's a matter of them coming up and exercise faith. Sometimes it's, it's a, the situation where the minister is ministering that. There's an anointing to minister and that person has, is, is exercising faith in that ministry. Do you see the difference? They're not just saying, I believe I received my healing. People come up because they, they, and this is why it works the way it works. When you come up and there's an anointing on the minister, submit yourself to that anointing. It's a little bit different than you just claiming it for yourself. You're wanting that anointing to come into you. 
Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Now, now earlier in the service, I, I saw this. If you're here tonight, and, and I believe there are people here, you've got a financial uh, something in your life. When, when Brother Doug was up here talking, exhorting tonight during the offering, I, I saw this. There are people here that you've got a, a, go ahead and stand to your feet. You have a financial need in your life and you need God's power. Something has in your financial, in the financial area, you need God to move. I want you to come down. Now, hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't come yet. A young man, not a young man, but a middle-aged man came to me one time. He used to come to our church. And he was a religious little fella, just real religious. And he never tithed, never gave offerings. He just came and always wanted to, you know, talk real, real religiously and real spiritually about things. Well, you know, he left our church. He didn't come for very long. He left. And he had started going to another church. And this other church was real small. I mean, like a handful of people. And I knew because I'd run into him after he'd left our church and, I, and he told me he was going to this other church. So he had a bad habit. Somebody asked me today, what about people that are always asking you to pray for? Pray for me, pray for me. And you know that they're not in faith. I told this person this morning, I said, when people keep asking you to pray for them and you know they're not in faith, take them by the hand and say, what is it you want me to pray? What, what scriptures are you standing on? Let's pray right now. See, they don't want you to pray right now because they, they'd have to get involved in it. They want you to go home and take the responsibility from them and pray. Oh, pray for me. I want you to go home, get on your knees, spend all this time in prayer praying for me. And so I found, I just take him by the hand and say, well, what, what is it that you need? Let's pray right now. In fact, you pray and I'll add my agreement with you. I found those people don't come back. They don't come back and ask again. They don't, well, anyway, this, this fellow came up to me and we were in town somewhere and, and uh, he said, and we just talked for a minute. He said, pray for me. It was just a religious thing he did. He said, pray for me. And I just took him by both hands and I said, for what? And he just looked at me, you know, uh, 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 he, had, he wasn't even thinking about anything when he said, pray for me. It was just a religious habit. He wasn't even thinking about anything. I said, what do you want me to pray for? He said, uh, uh, well, I need finances. He just thought of something. Of course, most people do, you know. And he said, I need finances. And I said, do you tithe that church you go to? I knew he never tithed here. I said, do you tithe that church where you go? He said, uh, well, no. And I said, you know, that pastor needs your tithe. See, I wasn't looking at anything for myself. You could, you know, you could question my motives, but I, I wasn't getting anything out of it. And I said, that pastor in that church needs your tithe. And you want me to pray and believe, and believe God with you that God will bless you, but you're stealing from God every week. You don't tithe. And he said, well, he said, God blesses me anyway. And I said, well, fine, go and be blessed. I, I don't ever remember seeing that guy ever again. I mean, we, our paths never crossed again. I never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him. That's been 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So I said that to say this, if you have a financial need and you're a tither, if, you're a if you have a financial need and you're a tither, or if you have a financial need and you haven't been tithing, but you're willing to correct yourself tonight, God looks at the heart. You know, God will bless you on credit. 
He'll bless you on credit. If you'll just make the, the, the consecration in your heart. So if you have a financial need and you're a tither or you're willing to tithe and God knows you're, that you're willing, I want you to come down here. There's an anointing here for this. Glory to God. And I'm gonna minister by that anointing. You know, there are different kinds of anointings. It's not just healing anointings. Amen. There are different kinds of anointings. If you're a tither... And and tithe doesn't mean you give 2%. Tithe means you give 10% of your income to the the church. If you're a tither or you're willing to be a tither and you have a financial need, glory to God. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.